Psalm 23, last week we looked at Psalm 23, the provision of God. We don't, you don't have to turn there now. Uh, God provides, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's our provider. He provides everything we need. He provides the, the grass, those green meadows and the still waters, the, the restoring of our souls. The second thing we saw in uh, Psalm 23, the presence of God, where he's promised to be with us in the middle of the valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, all the different kinds of death that we face in this life. And that reminds me that in Revelation, when we get to heaven, is going to be no more death. No more death. And then at the end of the psalm, he talks about the promise of God is that, that we're going to that we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to be in heaven, and that's a promise. No more death. We're going to be with him forever. Today, um, kind of following on from like that and, and from what I've been spending a lot of time thinking about is uh, vision. And, you know, vision's kind of important, isn't it? To be able to see, to, to have this vision to, is kind of important. And, I, and I've been thinking a lot about that. It's just, you know... Not just physical vision, though, but, but spiritual vision as well. It's, it's important. It's absolutely crucial for us to be able to see. And, and I know we're all, you know, the reason he said, the doctor said that this happened to me, I get this eye, um, what do they call it? Detached retina. Uh, it was because I was nearsighted. And we're all kind of, you know, we have either really good eyes, we can see near and far, and some of us are nearsighted, we can't see, you know, right this far in front of our face. Some of us are far-sighted. We can't see anything close up. But, but we take it for granted, the fact that we can actually see at all until you can't see, and then you go, wow. All the things that you could see before, you can't see anymore now. Vision is absolutely important, and, and I think this idea of vision to be able to see is important for our, for our church, but it's also important for our lives. To have a vision of what we see that, you know, a vision for our lives. We were uh, having Chinese food uh, about a week ago. And, uh, you know, I base most of my life on uh, fortune cookie, the little papers in there, you know. Usually I base it on the other side, the Chinese side. I can't read it. So I said, that's what I'm going to base my life on. I can't read this. But... Um, this has only happened one other time that I can remember in, in my life where the fortune cookie actually had a scripture verse in it. Have you ever gotten one with a scripture verse? Anybody? It happened one other time. I don't remember what that one was. But uh, uh, our son Ricky opens it up and it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I think that's ap apropos not only to him but to each one of us. Because that's what God's word says, right? Proverbs chapter 29, you can go ahead and turn there with me, Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, and I'll read it to you in a few different versions because it's very interesting. <clears throat> in the King James Version, which is what was in the uh, Chinese food, um, in the Chinese uh, fortune cookie, Maybe that's all they had there was the King James Version. But I like it. I like the way it's quoted in that version. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. 
where there's no vision, the people perish. In, in uh, the NIV, it says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. The ESV says, where there is no prophetic vision, the, the people cast off restraint. It, the word perish means they, that they're loosed. They're kind of, they're loose. They're kind of like cut loose to, to like wander and, and just, and, and kind of just drift. There's no vision. We have no vision where you don't know where you're going, where you don't have a sight of what you're heading towards. You're just going to wander. And that's why he's talking about, that's why uh, one of the translations says perish, because you're, you're, you're going to be lost. You're going to be shipwrecked. You're going you're to lose it. So one of the, the, the footnote um, for the ESV, I want to add this too, it says that the people are discouraged. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people are discouraged. And I think that's true. Sometimes we get so discouraged because we, we, we just don't know what God wants. We don't have that vision for our lives. So a vision for our church and the vision for our life, I think that's what I want to talk about today. We're, we're kind of heading into you know, a brand new year. We're a few weeks late, but, but that's okay too. And, and uh, I saw a piece about a guy named Josh Turner. How many of you know who Josh Turner is? Country music. None of you like country music. Josh Turner's a country music uh, guy, and he wrote this song called The Long, Long Black Train. And uh, I thought, oh, that's kind of, I don't know what that's all, all about, but, but basically he, he um, they, they did this interview with him, and it said that, that he, got his, he got the vision for his life from God. And, and, and he says it was a, he, he came to this place where, he, he, you know, God, you know, what do you want from me? What are you going to do with my life? What is it that, that you have chosen for me? And, he, and he, he said that he, he knew that there was a still small voice, and he's talking about you know, after the fact, a still small voice saying, I will lead you, but you need to trust me. And one of the things that God was going to lead him to do was to, be, to go into country music, and, and he wrote that song, uh, The Long Black Train, and, and it's a pretty wild. If you read the, uh, the verses to it, even if you don't like country music, look up the, the, the lyrics for that because basically the long black train is this, this uh, train of temptation and, and uh, you know, it's there. It looks beautiful, but it wants you to get on board. Uh, but, but it's like, don't, don't, go, don't get on board that train. And at the end of the, the song, it says, you know, that the, the one driving that train is the enemy. But Josh Turner, he had this vision for his life and, and because he had this vision for his life, it determined the choices that he would make. It determined the things that he would decide to do. And in his case, the vision for his life was to follow after God and, to, and God was leading him into the music business. And, and, but but that, that Jesus was the one that would be his Lord. And so he, he said, because of that, you know, when he goes out on the road, no drinking on the road, no women on the bus, this kind of thing. He has these... You know, because of what his vision is, he, it determines the choices that he makes in his life. They said at the, at the end of the interview, they asked him, what's the one thing you want people to know about Josh Turner? And he says this, that I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. That I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. So, let's start with our church and then we'll, we'll talk about our individuals. There, there, there are... A few key passages that 
really kind of from, from the beginning, it goes way back, and I want you to know what those passages are and that, that they're still part of who we are. That's still the vision. It hasn't changed. You know, we're, you know there's some, the way we do things can change and, and you know, we adapt and all that, but, but I feel like, you know, as far as I'm concerned, God has put this thing in place and, and there are a few key passages that make up the foundation of what. While you're in Proverbs, uh, turn to chapter 24. This is one of the three passages that we're going to look at uh, in terms of this foundation. Who can tell me which two verses in Proverbs chapter 24? If you've been here a while, you can find them. You know that I've read them before. Anybody? That's right. Three and four. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. And I think part of, the, part of it is, is I think that we need to restate our vision and, and re, be reminded of our vision. And that's my fault for not reminding us of what our vision is more often. Because, you know, again, without a vision, the people perish. They cast off restraint. They get discouraged. Unless we know what we're aiming at, you're never going to hit it, right? You know that saying. If you aim at nothing, what? Yeah. You hit it every time. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established, and through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. The wisdom, the understanding, and the knowledge. And these things coming out of the Word of God, as we'll see in our next passage, that, that God is building a house. God has to build it. But it's established through understanding, understanding what God wants from us. And then knowing his word and knowing him, that last part, you know, strikes me every time I read it, that its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And you know what? That's you and me. The rare and beautiful treasures are you. Each one of you is rare and unique, special in God's sight. Each one of you is a, a, a beautiful treasure that God is working in and through. Who can tell me what the next passage will be? Anybody want to reckon a guess? No? Acts 2.42, that's right. See? We've turned to it many, many times, but again, maybe not often enough for us to know that that what is our church about? What are we built on? One, that God is building a house. But th this is uh, another, uh, the second of the foundational passages that I, that I feel like God has uh, <clears throat> given to us, again, from way, way back in the very beginning. Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is, this is a picture of the early church, a picture of what God has had established there. And, and uh, I think, you know, we see the, the, the different um, pieces, the different parts of what makes up a good church. Number one is what? The apostles' teaching. And this, this doesn't just include the apostles' teaching, but the Word of God in all of its fullness. For you and I, we have the, the Word of God that, that He has given to us. We, we, we place a high emphasis, don't we, on God's Word? We don't just talk about the Bible. 
We don't just say, well, yeah, we believe what the Bible says. We open it up, we read it, we study it. And, and, and just about every single time that we get together here, we have some kind of a, a reading from the Bible, some kind of a study, some kind of there are times we come and do different things, obviously, that it's not every single time. But uh, when we have specific kinds of meetings, we always get into the Bible. Why? Because it's God, God's Word. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, living and active. God's Word, the apostles' teaching, they devoted themselves to that. And I've said this over and over here, that if we ever stop doing that, go find a place that does. God forbid that we would start, you know, just talking about entertainment and stories and, and, and jokes. I like jokes, but if that's all you do is jokes... The joke's on us, right? If we get away from God's Word and studying it and understanding it, and like we just read with wisdom and understanding and knowledge, if we get away from God's Word, we are in trouble. And, and the truth of the matter is that the church, the church at large is, is in trouble because so many churches have gotten away from that foundation, that, that importance is that you've got to get into God's Word. That's what's going to help you when you're in the valley, not some story, not some fantasy, not some idea, but God's word as, as he puts it in our hearts. So they devote themselves to, to the apostles teaching the word of God. The word of God. That's why we take our time. We read it. We study it. And I encourage each one of us over and over again to read it for yourselves. That's part, of, that's part of our foundation. And so that when you come together with the body, you've got something to give as well. You've got something to uh, put into the mix as well. Number two, the fellowship. And, and I love fellowship. Um, you know, being at home... For a few weeks, it's like, yeah, I watched a church on TV, but it wasn't the same on the computer. It's not the same. It's, that's not fellowship. It's okay. And it's good to get stuff, you know, but, but that's, not, that's not fellowship when you're face-to-face -face with somebody and, and you can look into their eyes and find out, you know, how's it going with them? And again, uh, sometimes we've got those walls. We need to get the walls out of the way so we can really be the people of God and the church of God. But have fellowship, and we, we do it here. We do it at different places. We get together with people. Maybe you get together with someone and have coffee, or you, you go and have dinner with some folks, and, and uh, you have some fellowship. This koinonia, the word is koinonia, which means a, a, a sharing together of life. You know what? Too many of us are just plain lonely because we don't know about fellowship. We don't know what it means to have somebody that, you, that you're having fellowship with. So we're just plain lonely. Even, even being a part of a church, you can be as lonely as anything. You can be sitting here right now. Well, I know what that's like because I don't know any of these people. I, I, I couldn't call any of these people if I wanted to. And, and I, I, you know, I'm here and I come every week, but I'm lonely as anything. Well, let the walls fall down. Let's see what God wants to do and build some kind of fellowship. Ask somebody, hey, what's your name? Hey, um, what are you doing after church? Hey, let's all go and get some um, pizza slices. 
You know, I know they forgot to put the cheese on, but that's okay. Let's go do something. Let's go bowling. Let's go and hang out. Why don't you come over to our house? That's why we have donuts, you know, not just because we want to get, you know, I won't use that word. <laughs> but because it, 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 it allows us to be together and, and do stuff together, which is break, the breaking of bread. It goes into the next one. These kind of are interrelated, you see, and this is part of who we are. That's why we, we, we try to have things like that, like a couple's uh, a banquet, like where we, you know, can get together and have a potluck after church, which I think we should be doing more often, which at the very end I want to say, well, okay, this is the vision. Well, it's good enough to have a vision, but if you don't ever do anything about it. So I think we should be having potlucks. I think we should be having lunch after the church, you know, on a somewhat regular basis. But I can't do it. I can't do it all. I can't organize it all. I can barely organize my own self. But some of you have gifts. The breaking of bread, I think that's kind of defined two different ways. And I believe both are, are, uh, are acceptable. Number one is it was simply the breaking of bread and food, where you, they broke bread and they ate together. It's awesome to sit and eat together. You, you, know, you, you share a meal with somebody and, and they're, they're more relaxed usually. Although, I remember eating with a certain person who's not here today, and this person had grown up in a place where uh, I think it was probably a big family. And my, I grew up with a big family, too. I had five brothers and two sisters, and, and like, you had to get your food. And, you, you know, you didn't just, like, take your time. You got your food. And then, but we eat this person, he would, like, he would like uh, huddle over his food like this, like you were going to take it from him or something. And, uh, you know, I don't think we worry about that too much here, but to, to actually have a meal together, that's like awesome. Sit around a table together. The second part of that is, is obviously the breaking of bread in communion where we, where we celebrate, where we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. And we're going to do that today, as a matter of fact, in just a few minutes, we're going to partake of communion together. And then the, the fourth thing in Acts 2.42 is, is prayer. Man, there's prayer all over the place. There's prayer happening all over. There's opportunities to pray. We have, we have prayer before church. We have prayer after church. If you need prayer for something, we have prayer during service. We have prayer on Wednesday nights. They have prayer on Thursday nights. There's, there's opportunities to pray. Why? Because we believe that that's part of what God's called us to do. I can say, you know, being, you know, going through a trial, I can say, I know, I know that people were praying for me. I just knew it. And so it encouraged me to now remember to pray for other people when they're going through something. Because I knew people were praying for me. You know, because I wasn't freaking out. I wasn't like, you know, so discouraged and so distraught and everything, you know. I just knew because I knew it was... It was not because of me. I just knew because someone was praying for me. If I started to get to a certain place in the middle of the night or something, I said, God, you've got to get someone to wake up, somebody or something to pray for me now because I'm, having a, I'm starting to slide. I'm starting to slip. So prayer is powerful. 
You remember the story of Jim Cimbala and his, his uh, daughter? And we've, we've watched the video here in church, you know, where uh, what turned the corner for Jim Cimbala and, and his, his wayward daughter was prayer made the difference. And they were having a prayer meeting at their church and, and uh, someone said, we need to just pray right now for your daughter. And, and uh, some powerful things happened. And, and that night she came back. You got to read the book. Uh, fresh wind, uh, fresh fire. Watch the the DVD. God did an incredible thing in answer to prayer. You see prayer all through the Bible. You see people's prayers all through the Bible. So they devoted themselves to these four things: the apostles' teaching, the word of God, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Those things don't change. Those are, those are like non-negotiable things. Those are like foundational things that, that we're not going to say, well, we don't need that one anymore. We can do without that one anymore. And that's what happens to some churches, right? You know, that part gets knocked off and, and slowly by short, slowly things start getting dropped off and then, and then you have nothing in the end. And just close the doors and, and, and go home if that's the case. Acts 2.42, Proverbs 24, verses 3 and 4. And there's one more passage I want to turn to, and I don't, I, don't think, um, I don't think any of you would come up with this one, but I would be surprised. Does anybody know what that passage is? I just want to see. Anybody know what the last passage is? No. This is a... Pardon? Someone has it. Zechariah. Now, if you look on the top of your little bulletin there, um, right under the date, what does it say? What does it say there? Pardon? Above the date. I'm sorry. Care for the lost, seek the young, heal the injured, and feed the healthy. That, that, you know, and I'm going to show you where that comes from, show you the passage where that comes from. But that has been like a, a thing that, that, for me, has been a foundational thing. That's why you see it on there. And again, these are all parts of the vision of who we are. And we, need to, we, we need to not just stop there. We need to put these things into practice and apply these things to everything that we do. But I want you to turn to Zechariah chapter 11. And that's in the Minor Prophets, obviously not as easy to find, obviously, as Acts, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So it's the second to the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 11. This is a little bit interesting. You say, well, I don't know how you got that, but I think you'll see once we read it. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep tearing off their Hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. 
Now you kind of see where that comes from. The foolish shepherd, the worthless shepherd, the one that's only thinking about himself is one that does not do that. And so for me, I said, well, if that's what the foolish shepherd should, would do, then I don't want to be a foolish shepherd and, and I don't want to build that kind of a place. And, you know, sad to say, there are places where you would go where that's what the shepherd does. The shepherd takes care primarily of himself. He's got a Rolls Royce. And three homes and a yacht. Now I have all those things, but <laughs> I just can't find them. I lost them. So when I read that, when I read that, I said, you know what, that if we turn that around into the positive, that's a good thing. That's that's a good thing to build a ministry on. And those four things there, and so I've, been, I, I've, I've kept that for years and years, and you've seen it over and over. The first one there be, being to care for the lost, that we care for lost people. And again, we apply Acts 2.42 to, to this as well, where we care for the lost, and we, according to God's word, we would go and, and, and serve, and we would go on missions trips, and we would share the gospel with people, because we care about lost people. And people are lost in this world. Without Jesus Christ, we are lost. And, and I know it personally. So many of you know it personally that, that before you knew Jesus Christ, you're lost. You had no idea where you were. You, you, you had no idea what life was all about. Care for the lost. Jesus saw the crowds. It says in Matthew chapter 9, he says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He saw people and they were lost. And Jesus came to give his life for lost people like you and like me. We got to come to the place where we just care, where we care about more than just ourselves and our bank accounts and our and the things that we have, but we care for people around us that they're lost without Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily natural for us to care for lost people. I think, I think, uh, I think we need to pray to ask God to give us a vision and a heart for lost people. Because, you know, my life's busy and I, I want to take care of my business. And I don't necessarily care for that person that lives next door to me that, that they, you know, that they're lost without Jesus Christ. Care for the lost. How about number two, seek the young? And I kind of referred to this last week about, about the next generation, that if we're not looking ahead to the next generation, if we're not thinking about... Um, the young people around us, and, and we have a, a ministry here to young people. We have children's church. We have youth church, we call it, where we care about those young people, and we do whatever we can to reach out to them. But, but not only there, when we have our festival out on the grass, that's one of the number one reasons we do that, so that we can seek the young. Because it's mostly young people that come, right? And that's, that's mostly what it's geared to. The next generation, as I said last week, um, if we're not raising up younger people to, 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 to rise up and to take roles and to do things, 
within 10 or 15 years, this church is going to dry up and just die. And that's just reality. And it happens, and you see it happening in churches. Someone was talking with someone afterwards, and they said, you know, at, at uh, InterVarsity, when they were at school in InterVarsity, they said, you know, within, within four years, they needed to raise up new people because otherwise the thing would just die. Of course, the cycle at a four-year university is four years, so within four years. Maybe longer for a church, maybe shorter than what we think. That's a twofold responsibility, though, isn't it? It's not just, it's not, uh, just for us to look for young people and, and have our eyes open and try to raise them up. It's also a challenge to young people that, that if you are hearing God's voice, that God is seeking out your life as well to step up and to be what God wants you to be. So we have lost people, we have young people. That doesn't mean we don't care about old people. I'm old, right? I know you care about me and I care about some of you old people. Some of you, some of you anyways. I think, I think sometimes we fit into different categories, like the next two categories. The, the third one being heal the injured and, and to be a place of healing. Number one, to be a place of caring for lost people. Number two, being a place where we're seeking after the young. But number three, being a place of healing as well for injured people, for injured sheep, for injured just people that are hurt from this world or maybe physically hurt as well. There's all kinds of ways to be injured, isn't there? And as we get older, I find, you know, more and more things kind of start to break down and, and uh, we, we need a little, you know, we need more healing than we did before. I love it. I love it when I see what God is doing in injured people, when they, they come and they're broken and they're hurt and they just, and they keep coming back because they, they're seeking after God to do something in their lives and, and, then they, and then God does something and God brings a healing and you see it. It's like almost visible. That's wonderful. That's incredible for, 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 for us to be like a hospital to heal the injured. Again, now, do we heal anybody? No, of course not. But God uses us to pray for people. God uses us to share his word, to have fellowship, to break bread together. To, maybe that's part of the healing. You see, these things are all interdependent, all tied together to, to be a place where people are ministered to and, and healed. And then the last one, feed the healthy. You know, we have to keep feeding the people that, you know, we can't just only be thinking about all the other people. We need to take care of ourselves, too. We need to be being fed as well. So, so when we're, we're looking at God's word, we, we try, you know, it's not always easy, but we try to, to reach, you know, a, a wide spectrum. Those that are, that are lost, that don't know a thing about Jesus Christ. Those that are, are young people and, and to try to, to, to speak in a way they understand. Those that are hurting, to call out and say, listen, there's hope and there's help for you. But also those that are healthy that need to be strengthened by meat. It's not easy to, to hit all those at the same time in the same message, right? In the same teaching, the same Bible study, the same Sunday school lesson. 
But the healthy need to be taken care of as well. You know, I, I went, I took a, a, a first aid course, and they, and they said this that, and they say this on the airplane too, but first aid course is when you come to a scene and you can see something is going wrong. They say first thing you need to do is, is size up the situation to make sure that you're not going to just rush in there and be hurt yourself because then you're not going to be able to help those that are hurt. If there's a, you know, like there's, if there's a power wire down, we'll go, you got to make sure the power's off first before you jump in there. On the airplane, you know, if, if you ever lose pressure, what do they say? They say, put on your mask first, and then those children that might be with you. Why? Because you need to take care of yourself. If you don't have any help yourself, you're not going to stay healthy, and you're not going to be able to help anybody who is injured or young or lost. Right? Does that make sense? We need, to keep, we need to keep ourselves going, too. We can't, you know, well, I, you know, I'm so busy taking care of all these other things that I never get fed myself. Well, we're going to end up being weak and hurt. Care for the lost, seek the young, heal the injured, feed the healthy. This is a, a vision. I think this is a good vision. And we apply Acts 2.42 to all these different areas. The word, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Let's just talk for a minute now about our own lives, though. That's good for the fellowship and the church. And some of those things are obviously applied to us as individuals. But, but what, about, what about you and your life? Do you have, has God given you a vision? Has God put something on your life? Has God directed you in a certain way? Have you ever stopped to ask, well, God, what is your plan for my life? Because we got all kinds of things that we can come up with. Peter Marshall said, he said this, uh, give us clear vision that we may know where to stand and what to stand for, because unless we stand for something, we shall fall for anything. Praying for God to give us clear vision. Someone else said this. He says, a vision is the dominant factor that governs your life. It determines all the choices you're making. It's what's left after all the layers are peeled away like an onion. It's what your mind naturally gravitates toward when it's not legitimately concentrating on something else. It's what de determines your friendships and your relationships. It's what your prayers are about, what you dream about and you're giving your money toward a vision, a vision for life. There's one of the Bible colleges, one of the Calvary Bible colleges that during the summertime they have a, a summer month where young people can go and, and they call it a vision for life. And they won't let me go because I'm not young enough anymore. But I reckon that what they go and what they talk about there is, is, is to seek after God for a vision for your life. When we have these gals come from Teen Challenge, it, it, it always impresses me. They say, you know, my life verse is, and they quote that verse. They've got to memorize this. This is my life verse. This is my vision for life. Many of them have Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. 
Someone said the Christians who have turned the world upside down have been men and women with a vision in their hearts and the Bible in their hands. Men and women with a vision in their hearts and a Bible in their hands. Is vision important? I'll say it is. Because at the end of our lives, you've heard that saying, you know, you're on your tombstone, you know, you've got this one date and then you've got the date and then in between there's like a dash. What is that dash all about? What's, what does that mean? What's going to be there? Is it just nothing, just a flat line? Or is it really filled with fulfilling what God's plan and purpose is for our lives? That's what makes life interesting. That is what makes life worth living. That's what makes life uh, exciting. Difficult? Yeah, at times. Sure. But if you don't have a vision from God for life, your life's difficult anyway. So who cares? But then you miss out on all the good stuff. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 26. Paul had a vision for life. Acts chapter 26. And Paul's looking back to this time where he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. In verse 15, then I asked, Paul says, he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to to open their eyes and and turn them from darkness to light and from, from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Verse 19, So then, King Agrippa, I was not obedient to the vision from heaven. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, to the vision that God had given to me. You know, we don't all necessarily have it spelled out like Paul did. But I believe if we meet with Jesus Christ and we pray and ask him, he'll show us, he'll give us a verse. He will show us the direction of our lives. He'll show us something to build our lives upon to to make our lives matter in this world. I truly believe that. It's a place of surrender. Paul was at that place, but, but even in this even in this vision that, that, that Jesus gave to Paul, there, there's some suffering in there as well. There's some hard times in there as well, but, but look what he got to be involved in. He got to be involved with lost people, did he not? He had a mission for his life, and, and, and he says, you know what, I've done everything that, that God has called me to do. I've been, I've been faithful to do what God's called me to do. Which brings me to the last uh, point of, of this message about vision is that it's got to be vision plus action. We can have great vision, but if we never do anything, we worked with a guy when we, when we lived in England, this guy, this guy had great vision. He had incredible vision. He, he was a visionary, you might say, 
But you know what? It never got into the action part. It never got to be fulfilled. He had such great vision that it was incredible. You go, wow, that's awesome. Let's do it. You get all excited. But the next day he'd come back and he'd come up. He had a brand new one. You never had a chance to actually put it into action. Maybe you, some of you are saying, well, I wish you'd come up with a new vision for this church, uh, Pastor Rich. But we haven't fulfilled what we have. So why should we get a new one? Let's fulfill what we have. Someone said this, a task without a vision is drudgery. A vision without a task is a dream. But a task with a vision is victory. Where we have a, a, a vision, but we, we, we put it into action. And, and that's got to be true as a church. It's got to be true in our own lives as well. And you say, well, you've talked all about vision, but you haven't given us any specific steps of what we should do. Well, I want to say to you this morning is that that takes all of us to figure that part out. It's not just me saying, well, this is a list of things we should do because I can't do that. I can't put that all together. But, but us all together, we can do that. We can do that together. We can, we can change the world. We can, we can make a difference for lost people, for young people, for hurting people, for healthy people. A friend used to say this to me, there's nothing left to it but to do it. There's nothing left to it but to do it. We know what, 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 their, what the vision is, but, but now we need to do it. So, so maybe you've got some great ideas that how we can, we can fulfill some of this. Write it down. Put it in the box. Talk to somebody about it. Talk to me. Talk to some of the other uh, people, some of the other leaders around us. Hey, why don't we think about trying this? We, you know, we had, uh, we've done different things in the past, you know, but we can do new things or we can do some of the old, resurrect some of the old things, you know, when we, we uh, gave away free hot dogs out in the parking lot. You remember that? How many of you ate those free hot dogs? I know some of you, I've, I was told that you, you found out about this church because we gave away free hot dogs out in the parking lot. I love hot dogs. But so do other people. You don't want to read the ingredient list. That's dangerous. But what are the things that we can do to fulfill this vision? And in our own lives, what are the things that I can do? If this is a vision God has put on my life, well, what do I, what is the next step? What should I do? For, for our own lives, for my life and my wife, you know, we believe that we just wanted, you know, to, to offer ourselves, to be available to what God wanted to do for us. At that point in time, it, it ended up being that we should go to Bible college, Bible school, and, and just see where that led. And, and we didn't know where that was going to lead. We didn't know it would end, we'd end up here in Rhode Island of all places back in 1980, 79, 80. But you have to take some steps. Again, a vision without a task is a dream. Just a dream. So for you and me, let's work together Let's try to figure out how we can, 
we can do something in this world. We don't, we don't have a lot of time. I don't know how much time we have. But let's try to figure out what can we do? How can we make this better? How can we fulfill this vision? You know, what, what, what ideas do you have that might be, you know, a way to, to reach more young people? I mean, you know, there are, you know, there are endless opportunities, endless ways of, of things that we can do. But again, we need to work together. It takes all of us to fulfill that. So we're going to have communion now. And uh, I think what I want to say about that, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have communion. I think it's ap- apropos, I think it's appropriate for us is that we start at the cross. We always got to start at the cross. We need a vision of the cross before we can do anything. We need to be able to say, Jesus, see Jesus Christ and him crucified. If we don't see that, we don't see nothing. Fellowshipping, studying, being together, caring about people. Without the cross, we have got nothing. We've got nothing to offer anybody. So we believe, and the Bible teaches so very clearly, that Jesus Christ, he loved the world God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to come and die upon the cross for the sins of all the the earth, for the sins of all the world, that whosoever would what? Believe in him would not perish, would be lost no longer, but have everlasting life. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what it says.